On chapter 14, we're going to finish this chapter out at the end of the year. See, I told you I'd get to the end of this chapter eventually. Uh, we like, we've been going through, if you're just uh, joining us here, we, uh, we've been going through very slowly and kind of methodically the book of John. We're on chapter 14. We started years ago on John chapter 1, verse 1, and just very slowly with interruptions and visits and digressions and stuff, uh, vacations and visiting speakers and missionaries coming, like here we are at the end of chapter 14. Um, and uh, there we go. So down by verse 28. If you're there, say amen. amen. That was weak. That was really weak. <laughs> like bad coffee. All right. Are you there? Say amen. amen. All right. All right. That was a little better. I'll give you a chance to work up to it. I know it's been a long week and a lot of fa-la-la-la-la and all that stuff that wears you out. And now you're waiting for your credit card bill to come in and you're getting all depressed. But uh, we'll try to lift you up and challenge you a little bit today. But... Um, uh, Benjamin Franklin, perhaps you've heard of him, probably, not the $100 bill, but the person on the $100 bill. Benjamin Franklin said, or wrote, a well done is better than well said. A well done is better than well said. Because talk is cheap, and actions speak louder than words. And in 1 John chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, but John writes, he says, Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And here at the end of John chapter 14 in the upper room, Jesus Christ is kind of alluding to this time coming when the disciples would need to put up or shut up. And it's kind of like he's going to, lead, he's going to be the example, but... That's kind of like what he's challenging them with. Look at verses 28 to 29. Look at the reminder here. He says, You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass that when it is come to pass, you might believe. So there Jesus Christ is reminding his disciples of all the talk that he'd been giving them, been giving them, right? All the instructions, all the sermons, all the messages, all the parables, all the talk. He says, I've told you a lot. You've heard a lot. You've heard what I've said. Verse 30. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you. For the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. So in verses 28 to 29, he reminds his disciples of all the talk he'd given them. In verses 30 and 31, he's challenging his disciples to walk all the talk they'd been given. Because like those disciples, a lot of you have heard a lot of talk from Jesus Christ in this book. Amen? A lot of you have heard a lot of scripture, a lot of messages, a lot of stuff. You've got a lot of reasons to believe God. And like those disciples, you have a challenge from Jesus Christ. Are you walking all that talk? Are you walking all that talk? That is the message at the end of John chapter 14. And for us here today, that is the message for the end of 2023. Are you walking the talk? That's the message I want to call walking the talk. Walking the talk. I know it's going to be a challenge because it was a challenge to me. You know, my buddy Jim Gleason over here, we've done some martial arts in our past. Sometimes the fight's long and slow and strategic. And sometimes you just get punched in the face. And it's like, boom, you know, if you've never gotten punched in the face, it's good for you. You know, I remember a, a, a tournament one time, I came in, my friend, fake low, hit high, knocked me in the face with a turning sidekick, a roundhouse kick to the head. The bell rang, I went down, it was, felt good. I couldn't chew right for the next few weeks, but it was good, you know. I, I think, for me anyway, this message was kind of like a shot to the face. It was like God just slipped a jab, you know, hit me right in the face. And I was like, wow, it's simple. I don't know how long I'm going to go. But it's a challenging message about walking the talk. Walking the talk. Let's, let's pray and then we'll jump in. Lord, we love you today. We thank you today. We just praise you today, Lord, for your word. And we pray, Lord, our hearts, we receive it. And 
Uh, I know I probably put everybody in defensive stance, Lord, but I pray everybody would just receive what you have to say, accept your challenge, and rise up, like you said at the end of the chapter, rise. Let us go hence. Let it help us to do that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I don't have a lot of verses, actually, to even flip to. Let's start at verse 28. I want to say two things. First, number one, the Lord Jesus Christ gave his disciples a lot of talk in those three and a half years they were with him. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, they were spending morning, noon, and night with the Savior. We might get together a couple of times a week. Hopefully you have a little more fellowship with your Savior. But could you imagine having him in your presence morning, noon, and night, sleeping on the side of the road with him, having some food over a fire with him? I mean, there must have been a lot of lessons, a lot of instruction, a lot of talk that Jesus Christ gave them in three and a half years. Look at 28. Look what he says at the beginning of 28. Because there was all that talk, he could say this. You have heard how I said unto you. (laughs) Jesus Christ could look at his disciples and say, you have heard how I said unto you. You've heard what I said, and you've heard how I said it. And you know what, folks? I'm just going to look at all of you, and I know most of you, and some of you might be new here or visitors. You could take yourself out of this equation. But for the most of you that know Jesus Christ for any length of time, Jesus Christ can look at all of you and say, you've all heard. Amen. You can't play dumb. Amen. You can't plead ignorance. Amen. There's no, oh, I didn't know. No, you know. You know. You know. <laughs> How much of God's words have you heard, dear disciples of Christ? We try to plug it in everywhere. We try to plug it in on prayer meetings. We plug it in on text messages. We plug it in on Sunday morning. We plug it in on Sunday school. We don't really do anything here but give you the Bible and give you the Bible and give you the Bible. For some people, that's boring as cracker juice. Where There's the doors. There's two of them. They're wide open. You can leave. But for people that want to know what God says, we hope you stick around and hear what God says. And if you've been here for any length of time, you've heard some things from this book. How much have you heard? Don't answer out loud. Because if faith cometh by hearing, how great should our faith be? How great should your faith be by now? For all the Bible that I've heard, and all the Bible that you've heard, and all the messages I've heard from great men that have gone before me, how great should my faith be and have grown if faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God? Look at verse 29. He says, And now... I have told you before it come to pass that when it is come to pass, you might believe. Jesus said, I'm telling you, disciples, and I've told you, disciples, all these things. Why? So you might believe me for the next thing. So you might believe me. So I want to challenge you. After all you've heard is your trust in God, even the size of a mustard seed. For all you've heard. He said, if you could have faith even the size of a mustard seed, you could tell a mountain to move across the street. Do we even have faith as big as a mustard seed after all we've heard? I mean, Jesus Christ has been talking all this talk. I wonder, is anybody listening? Is anybody giving God a hearing? He's talking. All throughout the Old Testament, he would tell his people, I rose up early, I sent my prophets. I rose up early, I sent my prophets. All day long have I stretched out my hands, he says. Is anybody listening? You know, I'm a teacher by trade. Sorry, Rachel, I got to remind you, we got to go back to work this week. But teachers talk all day. Sometimes I hate hearing myself talk, but teachers talk all day at their students. You know what happens? Far too often, their students aren't paying attention. I say, amen, Chris, he's a teacher too. Amen. The teachers in the room are going, amen, brother, good preaching. Yeah, we talk all day. We're professional talkers. We slave around about objectives. We slave about surface deep and transfer learning. We slave about how to scaffold our ideas to help students be able to reach us. And we're talking. All we're doing basically, though, is talking. And the most frustrating thing about talking all day is the students are rarely ever listening. I mean, I will do this on purpose, I will give a list of questions out and I will say, only pick three of the five to do. Please don't do all five. Please don't be that guy that does all five. I actually try to embarrass them. You know what happens? You know how many students do all five? I said, just do three of the five. Oh man, you gave us all five to do? No, I didn't. I said, do three of the five. They're not listening. 
You know why? Teachers talk so much, their students' ears grow dull of hearing. There Mishanya goes again with his stupid stories about his eye. There Mishanya goes again with his bad jokes about Star Wars. There Mishanya goes again talking about basketball all the time and saying how Jordan's better than LeBron. I know, I know, it's the truth, I know, but that's all there he goes again. There he goes again. You know what happens? The Lord has been talking to us so much. Our ears have grown dull. Our ears have grown insensitive to the Word of God. Our ears have grown callous because the Bible's always there. Pat will be there. The message will be there. Church will be there. It's always going to be there. You know, that makes you dull, lifeless, lacking zeal, lacking earnest, lacking desire. I wonder, I don't want you to answer out loud. How many of you came today hungry to be hearing from God? I wonder. I wonder for myself sometimes when the alarm goes off on a Sunday morning. Am I just going through the motion? Or do I want to go there and hear from God and fellowship with God and be around God and his people? He says, your ears have grown dull. He told that to his people in the Old Testament. He says, guys, I've been sending you my prophets and your heart's grown fat and your ears are dull of hearing. He goes, you've heard it so much that you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. You're not sensitive to it. You're not moved by it. We got the King James Bible. Do you have one? Amen. Do you have one? You need to study the history of that book. You need to learn how that is a bloody book. How that book was fought for. That book was attacked. That book has been sought after. The enemy has tried to stop that book from being in your lap. Not just by scholars, but by murderers and pillagers and violent men have tried to stop that book. And now scholars and heady and high-minded people have tried to steal the word of God for you so you don't know what God really said. Can I tell you, we've got the King James Bible that God Almighty kept for us. Is anybody keeping it close to them? Is it precious to you at all? I got things my dad wrote and they're precious to me because he's dead. I got a book that my Savior who died and rose again left for me. Is it precious to you at all? Yeah. Or are you just dull of hearing? Oh, there he goes again about the King James Bible. There he goes again about the preserved words of the living God that I could have in my lap in fifth and sixth grade English so even my kids could understand it and get to heaven. There he goes again about all those precious promises that anybody can access because God put them plate high with all the cookies for us to eat. Oh, there he goes again about God giving us unsearchable riches in Christ. There he goes again. Dull of hearing. That's my sad testimony, probably of myself. We've got 1,189 chapters of precious promises in that Bible you have in your lap. And if you don't have one, I'll give you a free one to take home with you. Anybody searching for treasure? Anybody looking for riches? Anybody want to know what God says how to raise your kids? It's in there. Anybody want to know how to have a successful relationship? It's in there. Anybody want to know how to keep your house in order? It's in there. Anybody want to know how to be a good citizen? It's in there. Anybody want to know how to be a good anything? Fill in the blank. It's all in there. It's like grandma's sauce. It's in there. You just got to stir it up a little bit. Nobody's stirring it. It's just sitting there and just getting solid. Just, you got to stir that sauce a little bit, right? I'm getting hungry. I got to stop and get food analogies are my downfall. We've got over 788,000 words God told us in this book. There's over 788,000 words from God Almighty delivered to you. Is anybody listening? Is anybody seeking? Is anybody hearing? He says, you've heard. You've heard how I said. Are you listening? Listen. The parents might say an amen right now, so I'll try not to out the parents and out you kids. But do you know how it feels to talk to someone and you know he's not hearing you? Right? <laughs> They're shooting some looks at their kids. Mm-hmm. I didn't tell the preacher. I didn't tell him. God's got your number, right? You know what it's like? You're talking to that person, whether it's a student or a child or a friend or a loved one, and you're telling them book, chapter, and verse. You're telling them things, and they're staring at you, and they're nodding, and their mind is a thousand miles from you. Do you like that feeling? I don't like that feeling. Do you like that feeling, Mom? 
Do you like that feeling, Dad? Do you like that feeling, concerned friend? Do you like that feeling, worried aunt or uncle, grandparent? Do you like that feeling of talking to somebody and knowing the sounds are reverberating into the airwaves, they're hitting their inner ear, the brain is forming the words inside their mind for them to comprehend, but their heart is so far from what you're saying, they don't hear a lick of what you said to them. Hey, you shouldn't do that because the last time you did that, you made a mess. Uh Uh-huh. Uh huh, uh huh, that's good advice. Oh, what'd you do? I did the same thing. Oh, okay. You weren't listening, you weren't hearing. How do you think God feels when we're so dull and we're so distracted, we don't give God a hearing? Now, if you don't listen to me, that's fine. I'm a loud mouth Italian, I don't really deserve your attention. I get it. But when God is speaking, He's worthy of our attention, right? But we're so distracted with push notifications on the glowing glass rectangle in your pocket that we don't know how to pay attention to something for longer than eight seconds. That's a clinical study. You don't have an attention span longer than eight seconds. Microsoft did a study in 2014. People born after the year 2000 have an attention span of eight seconds. It's shorter than that of a goldfish. You think that's by accident? You don't think that's by socially engineered design to keep you so busy, so distracted, so connected with nonsense. I sit there with my students and there's a pause in a lesson, a pause. I finished 43 seconds early before the bell. You know what happens. Every phone comes out and somebody's gaming on something. And I went to this one kid, I said, you can't give your brain a rest for 30 seconds? You can't let your brain rest for 30 seconds? No. It's like coming, constant engagement, constant engagement. And you're so engaged, you're not even thinking anymore. You're just, you're not thinking. You're just like, you're just like doodling on you with your thumbs, right? You're not thinking. You know why there's no inventions anymore? Why there's no uh, great thinkers anymore? Because there's no time to think. Nobody just sits and muses. They just want to be amused, which means you're not thinking. An atheist is a non-theist, and you're amused, you're not musing, you're not thinking. And we live in a culture where it's constant noise and engagement, and nobody's thinking. And then God's over here going, hey, hey, can you listen to me? And you're so bored, you couldn't pay attention to God for 14 seconds. You think that's all by accident? You don't think that's by the God of this world designing a culture to be like that where you couldn't even pay attention to God if you wanted to? We're so plugged in that we're checked out most of the time. Look at verse 28. You know those disciples had three and a half years with Jesus Christ. The Lord could say to them, hey, you've heard. Three and a half years, you've heard. Don't answer this. How many years have you been saved? Now, if you're saved five years or less, I'm not coming after you. I'm coming after people that know better. How many years have you been saved? How many years have you been reading the Bible? How many years have you been in church? The Lord can say, you've heard. You've heard. (laughs) You've heard. See what he says in 28? You have heard how I said unto you, I go away. Jesus Christ told his disciples he would go away. Didn't Jesus Christ do exactly as he told them? He did exactly what he said he was going to do. Look at verse 2 of the chapter. Look at verse 2. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. I mean, Jesus Christ right there is alluding to his death and his departure to start the chapter. Do you believe him? Well, he's gone, right? So what he said came true. Don't you believe him? Do you believe him? I mean, he said, I'm leaving to prepare a place for you, and he's not here now. So don't you believe him? Now, if you're of this strange ilk, that has eaten some crazy mushrooms, that wants to pretend that Jesus Christ never existed, I'll let you stay asleep. 
But the most verified fact in all of history is that Jesus Christ walked this earth and changed the course of history. That's why it's going to be 2024 tomorrow, not 5,000 and something. Because one man literally changed the course of history. And all of history hangs on the arrival of Jesus Christ of Nazareth 2,000 years ago on planet Earth. So we're not going to sit here and debate the reality that Jesus Christ came. But I'm challenging you. He said he was leaving and he left. Don't you believe him? He did exactly as he said he would do. Now, I'm glad the Jewish historian Josephus wrote about Christ's death. I'm glad. Gives me some strength to my faith. I'm encouraged by the Roman governor, Pliny, who records Jesus Christ's departure. I like that apologetic. I'm happy to find references about Christ's execution even mentioned in the Babylonian Talmud. That says, wow, that's good to know. Even a Greek satirist named Lucian acknowledged the crucifixion of Christ. Wow, that's good to know. But you know why I believe God? Because 29. And now I have told you. I have told you. I have told you. I believe God because the word, Jesus Christ, tells me what happens before it happens. He tells me in advance what's going to happen. Is I'm telling you before it happens, so when it happens, you'll believe me. Now Tacitus and Josephus and Pliny and Lucian and all these guys and the writers of the Talmud, they can look back and record what happened in the past. But only Jesus Christ can look ahead and tell you what's happening in the future. He said, I'm going to leave. And he left just like he said. You know what he says then in verse 28 as well? He says, I go away and come again unto you. So if he left like he said he would, won't Jesus Christ return like he said he would? Oh, you know he's gone. He's not here. We know he's gone. Jesus Christ said he'd leave, and he left. But the other part of that was, I'm leaving, and I'm coming back. And if he left like he said he was going to leave, he's coming back like he said he's coming back. The Bible all points to that. And he says in 28, if ye loved me, you would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father. Hey, if he left like he said, and will return like he said, shouldn't you rejoice in what he said? Right? You scare me that there's no joy there. <laughs> Shouldn't you rejoice in the fact that he's going to fulfill his word, come back and bring you back to his father, just like he said he would? He said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself there where I am. There you may be also. Woo! I know you got plans, but no plan is that good that Jesus Christ breaking it up won't be better than your plans. I know some of you want to get married. I know some of you want to win that tournament on your Xbox. I know you want to do all these things. I know there's all this stuff happening. I know you want to ball out on Saturday. I know this stuff. You want to get that raise. You want to buy that house. I know, but there's no plan so big that the arrival of Jesus Christ to take you home won't make those plans look like peanuts. Peanuts. And he says, I left and I'm coming back. He fulfilled the first half of that. He's going to fulfill the second half of that. Very soon. Amen. Very soon. You say, you've been saying that. Ah, dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. Because I've been saying that. Preachers have been saying that. But one day, it's going to happen. Amen. And when that happens, it's all good. It doesn't matter if I said it for 100 years. It doesn't matter if they thought at 0 AD or 1000 AD, if they thought that the end of the world was happening. It's going to happen. The fact that people are looking forward to it so much just shows you that God planted deep down in the hearts of man. There's an end to this thing. There's a wrap-up to this thing. There's something coming. Even though you bump into lost people today, they say, the world's ending, isn't it? Amen. Anybody had that happen to them? I've had that happen to me. We're getting close to the end, aren't we? Huh? What Bible do you read? I don't know. I just, I don't know. They just know. It's just all coming loose. It's just like, you know, somebody put the flame on really high and the steam is just busting all the pipes open. It's like the thing is reaching a critical mass where something's got to give. And Jesus Christ is going to get his bride out of here right before it's about to blow up. He's going to catch his bride away, all tears forever over in God's eternal day. He said, hey, you should rejoice. I'm going to my father. Why? Verse 3 said, I'm going there to get the house ready for my bride. You don't think it's going to be awesome when we get up there? You don't think it's going to be amazing when you hear that trumpet sound? 
You hear him call your name, come up hither. You don't think it's going to be great? Oh, it's going to be great. It scares me a little bit too. It's something that's like, what are we saying? I'll joke around with my friend Larry and he'll be like, do you know what we're saying right now? We're talking about somebody coming from the sky to get us out of here. He goes, don't, don't say it too loud. He jokes around, don't say it too loud, Pat. The white coats are going to come and put us in the padded room. Right? But that's what the word of God says. And we believe it for all the other reasons it came true. We got to believe it for that. Because more of the Bible talks about that than any other subject. Your salvation is only like 2% of the Bible. The second coming of Christ is like three-fourths of the Bible. It is the culminating event. It is the climax of the scripture, the second coming of Christ. So, wow. I mean, he says, I'm going to my father, for my father is greater than I. Hey, as amazing as Jesus Christ was in lowering himself and humbling himself to become a man, can you imagine what God's got for us? Can you imagine what it's going to be like to see Jesus Christ in his glorified body? To be glorified with him? To be huddled around him? To be worshiping and praising him? To be working for him into eternity? Can you just imagine? He goes, look, as great as I look right now, my father's greater than I. And when Jesus Christ puts off this flesh and we see what God is really all about, you're going to go, whoa. You're going to be, wow. It's going to blow your mind. It's going to knock your socks off. 28. You've heard... You've heard, you've heard. How many times have you heard and yet your lives are not affected? Is this the first time we ever mentioned this stuff? Of course not. Sometimes the preacher goes into his bag and pulls out his catchphrases to get everybody riled up. Start talking about the second coming of Christ. Start talking about no sickness. Start talking about, you know, no more debt. Start talking about no more anguish, no more debt. You know, we get everybody riled up. Everybody says amen on a Sunday morning. But your lives aren't affected on Tuesday afternoon. Right? Because we're dull. We've heard it. We know when to say amen. We know when to shake the hand. We know when to raise a hand. We know how to hoot and holler. We know when to sing the song loud. Let's repeat the verse. Let's stop the music. Let's sing an acapella. Let's do it all the time. You know, we get all excited. And then Wednesday morning comes and you've got to live it. And our eyes are just, our ears are dull of hearing. Go to Ezra chapter 9. I do want to flip you a few times before you flip out on me. Ezra chapter 9. Ezra chapter 9. Now, the book of Ezra we studied many months ago on a Thursday night. Ezra the priest is working with a remnant to return the people of God to their homeland and restore the nation, restore the work of God. So he's got this little remnant there. I forget how many thousand of people it is. And in verse 1, it says this of Ezra 9. Now, when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers hath been chief in this trespass. And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle and plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard and sat down astonied. That's even among the remnant. That's even among the people that wanted to go back and see God do something. Even among the remnant is a sobering truth that as much as we profess to have this zeal and want to be that remnant like Ezra, we're not taking heed. We're still rolling with the world. We're still mingling with this life. We're still so caught up marrying ourselves, if you will, to the things of this world. Like, I know it's nice to enjoy it. I like a basketball game. I like a burger. I'm not saying to rain on your proverbial parade, but like our hearts are getting so joined to it that we're like married to it. And the preacher is just like, I don't have a beard to rip out and I don't have a lot of hair to spare, but he's just like, I don't know what to do. And he says in verse 4, Then were assembled unto me every one that trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. And I sat astonied until the evening sacrifice. He's like, guys, do you remember why we've been in captivity? We're in captivity 
because we sinned against God and joined ourselves to other nations and committed spiritual adultery with other nations. And God had to literally carry us away, let our nation get destroyed, our temple burned. That's why we've been in Babylon. He goes, do we remember what got us into this mess? And do you remember what's gotten, into you, gotten you into every mess that you've ever been in? Your failure to obey God. Your unwillingness to follow God. Your obstinance to follow sin instead of the Savior. Every problem you've been in since you've been saved has probably been because of that. I bet very little of it, it's been the devil coming after you. Give him too much credit. Stop it. Just stop it. You're not that important. Stop it. Right, you're not the Apostle Paul. You're not Peter. You're not Bartholomew. You're whatever you are. You, please. The guy you looked at in the mirror, that's the one that gave you 99.9% .9 of your problems. So stop blaming the devil. Stop blaming yourself. Put the blame where it lies. You and I get ourselves into trouble, and most of the time it's because we yield to this stupid flesh, and it gets us into trouble, and the Holy Spirit says, hey, do you remember the last time you got in trouble? Was it because you followed your flesh? Yeah. Okay. I'll do all five questions. <laughs> You're not listening. You're not taking heed. Verse 5, And at the evening sacrifice I arose up from my heaviness, and having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God and said, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God. For our iniquities are increased over our head and our trespass is grown up unto the heavens. Since the days of our fathers, here we've been in a great trespass unto this day. You know what the solution is? You know what the answer is? Like Ezra, we need to repent of our foolishness. Like Ezra, we just need to say, Lord, I have been an idiot, and we have been idiots, and I just, I don't want to be an idiot anymore. That's what he's saying right there. I don't want to do this anymore. Because like the remnant, we return with our lips, but we have to restore with our lives. We have to give him our life, not just our lips. Oh, yeah, I love God. Praise God. He's coming back. Amen. I want to be, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I, I'm glad you said it, but now you got to do something, Amen. right? And it's like on the basketball court, right? Guys chirp, guys talk, you know? They get down there, you know, you know they start talking and stuff. Yeah, just shut your mouth and play. Amen. God says, you're talking. I know you, got, you, you say you love me, you say you want me, you say you want to follow me, you say you want to be that remnant in the last days that rebuilds the work of God and repairs the breaches. Okay, okay, put up or shut up. Amen. It's time to not just talk the talk, it's time to walk the walk. It's not just time to return with our lips, it's time to restore with our lives. So that brings me to my second point, right? Verse 30, go back to John 14. John 14, verse number 30. So, the Lord Jesus Christ wants his disciples to start, he's given them a lot of talk, that was my first point, and now Jesus Christ wants his disciples to start walking all the talk they've been given. See what he says in verse 30? Hereafter, I will not talk much with you. Jesus Christ tells them the time is coming when he won't have anything else to tell them. <laughs> and folks, I don't mean this the wrong way. There's a lot to learn. But there really isn't anything new that Jesus Christ, this book, the Word, has to tell us. What's the new thing you got to learn? Love God? Right? Listen to God? 31, he says, But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. I do. I do. He says, when the time for talk ends, the time for action begins. And Jesus Christ had told them God's plan. He says, God's plan for me is I'm going to die. And he goes, now's the time. I'm going to do it. Jesus Christ has told you God's plan for your life, for you to die to yourself. Now is the time to do it. That's what he's saying. A coach, some of us have coached. A coach can draw plays, teach fundamentals, but the players have to step onto the field and play. And the book can show you how to live. It can teach you the principles. But the disciples have to step out into the world and do it. You have to do it. You have to put feet to what you've learned. John 14. You know why you got to do it? Because talk 
is cheap and actions speak louder than words. So are you walking the talk? Are you doing what this book has told you to do? He says right there, but that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus said, you're going to know I love the Father by what I'm about to do, by the sacrifice I'm about to make, by the laying of myself down you're about to witness. Then you're going to know that I really follow God. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's just flip over there a little bit. First Corinthians eight. Look at verse one. First Corinthians eight one. <clears throat> now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. All right, we know stuff about the Bible. Thank God. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Amen. If any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God. The same is known of him. That means somebody else is going to see it in your life and draw that conclusion. You want a little English lesson? Is known is a passive verb. means you're not doing anything. Somebody else is doing it. The same is known of you. It's not you saying, I love God. I want to make it known. No, it's being made known by your actions. It's being made known by your sacrifice. It's being made known by your devotion. Amen. Does this book come out in your life Monday to Saturday or just your lips on Sunday? That's what he's saying. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Next book over, 2 Corinthians 8. I want to challenge you. I said there was going to be a challenge. I said there was going to be a punch in the face. Paul challenges them, right? Jesus challenges them. He says, what have you given up? <clears throat> what have you sacrificed? What are you suffering like Christ to prove your love to God? I'm not saying you had to sacrifice and give up your money or just whip yourself like an old monk. But I mean, where is the denial of self and the glorification of Savior that shows to the world, wow, that person knows somebody I want to know. He says, you're going to know that I love God when you see me lay my life down. 2 Corinthians 8 is about giving. The immediate context is about giving money, but I don't care about your money and we're not after your money. It could be about giving anything, your time, your talent, your heart, your passion. Some of you got so much passion it comes out of your ears for all the wrong stuff. For all the wrong stuff. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7. He says, Therefore, as ye abound in everything in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. He says, you got a lot of other good stuff going for you, but are you giving? Amen. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. <sighs> Ouch. That's a singer. Because Paul is challenging them about giving to prove the sincerity of their love. You know what sincerity is? It's the genuineness of their love, the truthfulness of their love, the seriousness of their love. I'm trying to see what you're all about by how you walk the talk that you've been professing. You say, why should you do that? Verse 9, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. <laughs> Question. What proved Jesus Christ's love? Talking about dying? Or walking up that lonely hill called Golgotha to lay down his life for you? What proved his love? If he talked about it for three years and didn't do it, he's just spitting in the wind. But he did it. He says, I want you to know that I love the Father and obeying him. Even so I do. And you're going to know by what I did. What proved it? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What proves your love for Jesus Christ? All your hands raised on a Sunday morning? All your loud amens on a Thursday night? Or what you do Monday to Saturday? In your life, in your family, in your relationships, with your checkbook, with your time, with your passion. That stuff that you do that nobody you think is watching, God says, I'm watching. Amen. They're going to know you're a Christian by your love. Yeah. 
your, your action, your faith, your giving, your sacrifice, your willingness to lay your life down. And if Jesus Christ is challenging you like he's challenging me to put up or shut up, I want to just probe a little bit. What has the Lord told you to do? Amen. What has he told you to do? Could it be a call for more consistency? I mean, God's the same, right? So if you get more like him, you get more consistent, more constant, more steadfast, more immovable. Could you be more consistent in your Bible? There's some stuff in the bulletin about challenging you to read your Bible through this year. You're going to do it? You're going to talk about doing it? You're going to do it. How about consistent in your prayer life? I put some promises in the Bible to challenge you to pray every day. Will you do it? How about some more consistency in your church attendance and your interactions with the brethren? You're going to do more of that? Hey, we don't just meet on Sunday. We meet on Thursday. We have a kids class on Thursday. We got people busting their hum on Thursday nights to make, make things right for the kids and do a good job. And it's a tough job. I know it's a tough job. Hey, you could be a part of that. You will or you won't. I challenge you. You going to do it? Is the Lord asking you let me probe a little more. Let me make you a little more uncomfortable. Is the Lord asking you to just go further? You say, Pat, I'm here. I'm trying. Okay, but could you just go a little further in your consecration? Maybe a little further in your service. Maybe a little further in your ministry. Wouldn't you like him to come back and see you emptying the tank? Just trying everything you could do to love him and let other people know you love him. Wouldn't you like him to find you like that instead of sitting on the couch, proverbially speaking? Let me probe a little more. Will you lay that burden down and really trust the Lord not to pick it up again? That's one of my resolutions. To I said, I want to give up worrying in 2024. That's good too. I think that's good. All right? How about this? Maybe, just maybe, Jesus Christ wants a little more of you since he gave you all of him. See, we all make New Year's resolutions because we all know better. Do you really need a lecture about how a better diet and exercise will improve your life? Really? Right? You know you need to lose those 10 pounds in the next two weeks. I get it. I'm there too. But do you really need me to explain to you why that's important? You've heard that ad nauseum about how better diet and exercise will make you feel better. And if you feel better, things will be better. You don't need another lesson. What more is there to say? You just got to do it or not do it. You know a closer walk with God will be good for you. You need another sermon about that? You need a sermon that tells you if you get close to the one in whom there are pleasures forevermore at his right hand, you think that's not going to be good for you to get closer to God, to pray more, to read your Bible more, to fellowship with the saints more. You know that'll be good for you. What more is there to say? It's time to do. It's time to do. Like the song says, what more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. And if you know you're a sinner and you know Jesus Christ is the Savior, what more can anybody tell you? I'm doing a lot of Italian hand motions today. I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm ch channeling my grandmother or something. But hey, if you're not saved and you know you're a sinner and Jesus Christ is a savior, get saved. Are you sitting here for asking, you want me to explain it another way? Okay, hell is where, the, hell is where sin gets to be punished. Heaven is where the, where the saved are, are, are living with God. You're gonna go to hell because you've sinned against God. Jesus Christ died to pay for the sin so you don't have to pay them. He offers you eternal life as a free gift. You wanna take it or not? You want me to explain another way? Oh, you want to find some Old Testament illustrations? I'll get some object lesson. I'll, do, I'll light myself on fire. See how much this hurts? You don't want that. Like, what do you want me to do? Right? Get saved. <laughs> Call upon the name of the Lord. Get saved. That's it. Some of you wonder if that's really it. That's really it. That's really all there is. Call upon the name of the Lord. Verse 30. John 14. I want to go back there. John 14. I'm almost done. I'm actually almost done. Some of you were done a long time ago, but I'm almost done. John 14, 30. Let me give you the why. If I'm making it seem so ridiculously simple and so obvious, here's why it doesn't happen. In my life, and I'm sure in your life. Hereafter, 1430. Hereafter, 
I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Do you know why more of you aren't walking the talk? Because the devil's got his darts in you. And he's holding you back. And he's got you tied up and entangled. And you can't be the Christian you know you could be, should be, even want to be. Because you just all got all these darts of the fiery wicked one in you. Jesus Christ says, he's got nothing in me. That means Jesus Christ was free to do God's will because the devil couldn't get anything into him. Tried to stick him here, he parried. Tried to stick him here, he blocked it. Tried to stick him here, he said, get thee behind me, Satan. He was always trying to stick the Savior. And the Savior's always like, it is written, it is written, it is written. And he always kind of parried, redirected, and got away from all that mess. Why? Because he's the Word made flesh. Amen. Couldn't get anything in him. You remember the movie Jaws? Right, I do. And there's that guy, that guy, that, that, that uh, shark hunter, Quint, you know, very well, in, that guy, you know, I, I watched Jaws too many times. That's why I like the beach. But um, when he gets out there on that boat, the one he needs a bigger one of, but he gets out there on that boat and he wants to bring Jaws in, the great white, he fires these harpoons into him. He puts these barrels in him, right? So the, and the harpoon would stick into the shark and the, the rope from the harpoon would be stuck to this barrel. And if he put enough barrels in him and enough harpoons in him, the shark, the great white, couldn't dive and move away the way it wanted to. He fires those harpoons into the shark to keep the shark from moving freely. And like Quint, the devil is on the hunt for you. You are that prize. He wants your marriages. He wants your children. He wants your church. He wants your home. He wants your peace. He's after you. I'm telling you, he's after you. He's not a mythical creature. He's a living being with an evil that's surpassed by none else. And he's after you. He's after your grandson. He's after your wife. He's after your uncle. He's after your neighbors. He's after you, Christian. You know what he's doing? He's got fiery darts, and he's trying to shoot them like Quinn. And if he can get one of them in you, they'll keep you from moving the way you want to move for God. Like the way those barrels kept jaws from moving, those fiery darts, zoom, zoom, zoom. And all of a sudden, you're like, I want to go to church, but I want to give some time to God, but I want to pray a little more, but. And all those butts are there because the devil's got his darts in you. The Holy Spirit says, hey, get saved. And the enemy shoots back, but how do you know it's real? God gets on you about commitment, and Satan responds, but what will everybody think? The Lord tells you to lay that sin down, and the serpent says, oh, but you've tried that before. And he's sticking you with all those darts. The book says, trust in the Lord, and the devil hits you with, but how's it going to be okay? How do you know it's going to be okay? you got to do something, man. you got to take this into your own hands. What are you going to do about it? Well, the Bible says, lay the burden down, cast your care upon him. Yeah, but how you know you're going to be okay? And Jesus Christ beckons, surrender all. Submit to me. I'll take you where you need to go. And the dragon breathes out that fire. Don't you want to just live your life? You want to be like Pat up there on Sunday morning, wearing the monkey suit and screaming like a lunatic? No, don't you want to live your life? Just do your little bit of religion once in a while. That'll pacify God. You're doing better than everybody else does. Fiery darts, man. And you entertain them, and you let them into your life, and you put down your shield of faith, and you get, you get hit. And then the preacher says something, and you're like, yeah, I'd like to, but... The Holy Spirit says something, I think I should, but... You know what that is? That's the devil just pulling on those fiery darts. He's got those harpoons stuck in you, and he's just like pulling on you. You can't move, because you got strings, Pinocchio. You get all those strings to weigh you down, and you just can't move the way you want to move, because I got my hooks in you. That's why we don't do the things we should do. And if you let the devil get his hooks in you, you can't move. You can't walk the talk that Jesus Christ gives you. Maybe, I'm just going to suppose I get ready to close here. Maybe 
your New Year's resolution should be to untangle. Maybe that's what it should be. Just, I'm going to untangle. I'm going to get some scissors. I'm going to cut some of these lines and just get some of these hooks out of me. I'm going to pull out some hooks. Maybe that should be your New Year's resolution. So you could do and be what God can do and be through you. Now, Andrew, he's here from Rochester. His dad, Paul, is a good friend of mine. And his dad is going to end up be a great, funny illustration. Because Paul's a fisherman. Right, Andrew? And one day, many years ago, when Paul lived in Staten Island with us, he went out on a morning, cast his line, and didn't come back. And it hurt every time he went to bring it back. Because he had cast the line the wrong way and the hook got stuck in his shoulder. So he hooked himself. And it hurt. So there he is. He's like, oh man, I got to get to where I'm supposed to be and I got to get this thing out of me because I can't walk. I can't do anything. I got a hook in my shoulder. I got to get rid of it. So you know what he did? He had to get some help. Rachel's dad. Had to get some help. Had to take some time. And it hurt a little bit, but he got that thing out so he could move freely again. And brethren, if you got some hooks in you and they're really your own doing, you probably did something you shouldn't be doing and you got a hook in you, you let the devil get a hook in you, guess what? You know what it's going to do? If you want to walk the talk, take some time, get some help. It might hurt a little bit, but you'll be able to walk with God again. Be able to walk and be and do what God says you can walk and be and do. I've been talking about it. I want to see you walk it. Let's get the hooks out. Let's get you free so you can move around and do what I can do through you. Because in John 14, 31, you want to see the last thing he says to them? He says, arise, let us go hence. He says at the end of the chapter, Jesus Christ tells his men, okay, it's time to get up and get going. It's time to get up and get going. Because, you know, the kids know this. I have enough in my house this week. When a team gets in the zone, whether it's playing a real game or playing a video game, whatever it is, when a team gets in the zone, somebody usually shouts, let's go! Right? Let's go! Right? Somebody, like on my daughter's basketball team, somebody does a little shake and bake, cooks somebody, puts that thing, drops that thing in the tin, puts that thing in the... That's scoring in basketball, right? Gets to the rack, puts it in the basket, shoots, scores. For those of you that are soccer players, right? right. They score, right, with their hands. They boom, they, they put that basket in. You know what somebody does? Let's go! My daughter's team was down this week. I was watching. I was just quiet and respectful. No, I'm yelling at everybody else. And one of our teammates pokes it, steals it, puts it in. You know, everybody gets up on the bench. Let's go! Some of you get on your video game headset and you shoot that imaginary person that isn't real, but you think it's real because you feel your blood pumping and your heart racing. And you say, wow, I got a headshot. Let's go! You're not going anywhere but the living room, but okay. But Jesus Christ is telling his team, hey, the time for talk is over. Let's go! That's what he's saying. And brethren, I love you to death, but the time for talk is over. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get up and start walking all this talk because Jesus is coming. He's coming. I don't know if he's coming this year. I don't know. I'm not going to be so stupid to say he is or he isn't, but he is coming. I am going to meet him one day, whether by upper taker or undertaker, I'm going to meet him. So let's go. We've heard a lot. Let's go. Because at the judgment seat of Christ, a well done will mean a lot more than a well said. Don't you want to hear him say, well done? Oh, you had a great profession. I loved your statement of faith. I'm glad you could articulate the fundamentals of Bible Christianity, but what have you done? Do you want to hear him say, well done? thou good and faithful servant, and a well done is a lot better than a well said. Let's bow our heads.